This morning, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts, Acts chapter 13 this morning. Acts chapter 13, as we continue our sermon series entitled Witnesses, a study in the book of Acts, where we see the way that the disciples of Jesus Christ are commissioned by Jesus himself and established and gifted by his spirit to the work of witnessing to the gospel of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, and the hope, the promise of his return. We're in Acts chapter 12, actually Acts chapter 13. We're going to consider verses 1 through 3 this morning, but as we look at that, we actually should begin with the verse just before it, as it's a bit of a transitional statement between the section that focused on Peter to this section that now focuses on Saul, who will become known as Paul. So let's begin our reading this morning in Acts chapter 12, verse 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Heavenly Father, this morning is more obvious, perhaps, even than on other mornings for us to say that we need you that we are dependent upon you, but we are dependent upon you for something far more precious and important than the the smooth running of a service. It's not the point anyway. Lord, that we would know you and see you is the miracle that has worked morning after morning and week after week, that we would know our God. And that knowing you, we would not rebel against you, but be by your Spirit's work in our hearts inclined to listen to see, to look, to place our faith in you. Lord, I pray that you would work that in us as we study your word this morning and that you would give us a compulsion as a people who have seen you, who have by your grace prized you and treasured you, placed our faith in you, that we as a people would be sent to make your glory known in our county and among the nations. Thank you, Lord. We trust you to work that in us this morning. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, by way of introduction this morning, we are now back to Saul. We met Saul a few chapters ago, and we saw him in his conversion on the road to Damascus. We saw a bit of ministry taking place there. He went to Jerusalem, spent some time with the apostles there, and then we had our attention turned again for a few chapters back to Peter. We considered him for the past few weeks, and now we are back to Saul, and we will continue that focus in the coming weeks. We've seen how the Holy Spirit has already been fruitful and effective to save households among the Gentiles, which is in large part the ministry of Barnabas and Saul in the coming chapters. But let us remember that the Holy Spirit is the first missionary. 
He is the one who went first to the Gentiles. He is the first witness among the nations. It's the Holy Spirit that bears witness to our hearts so that when the word is preached, it sounds like the truth. We are humbled before him and we believe. What we read about here is not first the ministry of Peter or Saul or Barnabas or the church in Antioch or anyone else. It is first the missionary activity of our God. So Saul, who we will begin to call Paul soon enough, will soon uh, see him as his ministry transitions from his Hebrew name of Saul among the Jews to his Greek name Paul among the Gentiles. Now today, for the most part, since our passage refers to him as Saul and his ministry is still there in Antioch among the Jewish believers there, we will refer to him in the same way, just so we use the same word that is in our text. And as we consider this morning's passage, we'll consider a few sections. To be honest, in my notes, I have three sections, three things that we can observe about the passage, but I realized this morning that maybe we should add a first one, that maybe the first implication of the passage is that as I read Acts and the church in Antioch, the first implication is that they did not have a slide projector. So this morning, I think we are on good biblical footing uh, to be about our technical difficulties, but a little more seriously, as we look at this passage, we're going to see three things. We're going to look at it in three sections. We're going to see the church is serving. We're going to see the church seeking. We're going to see the church sending. Let's begin by considering the church serving this morning. Look at verse 1 of chapter 13. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. And then he gives us their names and a little bit of background information on a few of them. The first thing that jumps out to me in this passage is that this is a diverse church, isn't it? I mean, Antioch is a cosmopolitan city. It was originally established as the capital of the Seleucid kingdom, and it became one of the top three most important cities in the Roman Empire in the day. And Acts 11, we see that it became a place where the Jewish believers fled during the persecution of Saul. They fled all the way up to Antioch. And here Saul is listed among the five leaders in the church that was established by a persecution that broke out 11 years before that he helped to spark. Now, as you look at the list, you look at it with me. You see the first one, right? Barnabas. We've actually met Barnabas already in Acts. Barnabas is a Levite. He's in Cyprus. He was born in Cyprus, so he was not born in Jerusalem. He was born in an island just uh, to the northwest of Israel in the Mediterranean Sea. And then we have Simeon, and he is called Niger, which probably refers to his dark complexion. Possibly, Simeon is the same as Simon of Cyrene that we meet in Luke's gospel who carried the cross of Jesus, though it's a different spelling, so it does raise the question, why would Luke use the different spelling for the same name? We're not sure. If so, then Simeon is also from Cyrene, which is in North Africa, which would explain his description of Niger, a dark complexion, which would um, explain where he's from and perhaps what he looks like. And then we have Lucius, and Lucius is of Cyrene. 
Cyrene is in northern Africa, almost directly south of, uh, in, through the Mediterranean down to, from Corinth in Greece. Tells us a little bit about the way that the Lord has been working in these variety of places and gathering this diverse people. Menaean. Now here's an interesting guy. Look at the passage, what it says. It says that Menaean is a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. And you're like, Herod, Herod, Herod. I feel like there's a ton of Herods in the Bible. You're right. This is Herod the Tetrarch, otherwise known as Herod Antipas. Wouldn't it be nice if these guys would just go by one name, right? It'd be really handy. But instead, this is Herod Tetrarch, who is also known as Herod Antipas. That's the same Herod who beheaded John the Baptist. And Menaean is a lifelong friend of that Herod, which tells me such are the ways of the Lord, that he would redeem to himself a man once enmeshed in power and wealth and pride and self-sufficiency that certainly surrounded the people who would be lifelong friends of Herod, the Tetrarch. And here he is, a leader, a prophet, and a teacher in the church in Antioch. And then we have Saul. I mean, as long as we're talking about murderers, right? Saul, he's from Tarsus, yet another town. He was once a fierce enemy of Jesus, and now he's a zealous proclaimer of the gospel. Look at this list. We find a, a quite a diversity of people. We even find Saul, a murderer of Christians, Menaean, friend of a murderous king. And all these men were Jewish. They were Jewish in terms of their descent, their ancestry. But they are also a diverse people in terms of their experiences. Listen, this is important. Their ethnicities, not just their ancestry, their ethnicities, where they came from, what cultures are being poured into them from their youth are now being gathered into Antioch, into one church and one family. They have a variety of backgrounds and relationships. Some might have looked at these men and seen only a bunch of Jews. But if we look a bit closer, what we see is quite a collection of people from among the nations that God is about to send out to reach the nations. I look at Cross Point Coast, and you know what I see? I see something very Similar. If you just glance at it, if you just take a quick look or know just a little bit of information about us, we may look like a collection of people of mostly similar backgrounds, similar life stages. And to some degree, this is true of the people of Cross Point Coast, the people that God has gathered here. But if you look a little bit closer and get to know our lives a little bit better and pay attention to all the people that God has gathered by his gospel, you will see that God has put together quite a group of histories and nationalities and ethnicities and ages and places in society right here in this group of people. And more than that, He's using us not only to become one family, to encourage one another, but also to spread his gospel all over this county. You know you're from all over this county this morning. That's who God has chosen to gather here in Vieira in an elementary school to worship the Lord this morning, and that he's scattered about this county to make much of his name. 
Now, at the same time, as God is gathering this diversity of people, as we've often prayed and seen the Lord increasingly answer in recent months and years, we pray, Lord, cause us to love one another without partiality, without prejudice, so that we can love our community, so that we can increasingly look like our community, a community that's made up of a variety of people that we will serve with the gospel. What we see in the word is God is not prejudice. God is not a God of partiality or favoritism. God has saved a diversity of people, and that same people is his church that he will use to reach the nations. And so let us Use this passage as serving us as a reminder for a greater diversity of people that God would gather among us and send out from among us. It's the first thing that jumped off the page to me, but the second thing, of course, is that we have in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers. Now, I want to take a second to think about prophets and teachers. It's sort of said back to back. They sort of flow together. They seem to belong together. If you consider the prophets and the words they recorded for us in the Old Testament, the role of the prophet is clear. The role of the prophet is to remind the people of God of the covenant of God. To remind the people of God of the covenant of God. Surely God gave them a special and unique knowledge of future events that happens quite often. God also gave them wisdom to understand current events and all the issues that were swirling around them, both religiously and politically. But most importantly, God gave them all of the prophets, his word, his law, his covenant, and his promises. And it's on this absolute authority, God's word, that the prophets repeatedly called the people to turn back to God. They called the people to repent, to return to the Lord. They called the people to turn away from sin and to believe. They called the people to faith in the Lord and to hope in his steadfast love and mercy, repeated over and over again. Friends, the prophets have always been proclaimers of the gospel. Even the gospel that they long to see revealed in the coming, future coming, of the Messiah. The prophets are proclaimers of the gospel not yet revealed until the coming of Christ. But you can see how at the core of their purpose, these prophets share much in common with the teaching ministry of the church. Teachers are not simply educators. When we talk about teachers, we aren't talking about people who simply pass down information. It's our purpose as teachers to remind the church of the Lord and to call the wayward to repentance. So I believe it's for for that reason, the similarity of the mission of the prophets and the teachers that already in Antioch, we see the prophets and the teachers being mentioned in the same breath because they're fulfilling the same role. The role of reminding the people of God, of the truth of God, now revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The main difference between the prophets of the Old Testament and the teachers of the New Testament is that the prophets spoke of the mystery they had not yet seen, and the teachers speak of the gospel that had been revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You see how this works, right? 
It seems like a fool's errand to, to read this. And see where it says, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. And then to read this list of five people and say, okay, surely two of them were prophets and three of them were teachers. And then we try and figure out which ones were which. It seems like a fool's errand because it doesn't seem to be the point of the passage, but rather that we would see that they are proclaimers all of the gospel. The fact is that they... Sh- shared a central purpose to call the people of God to know their God, to discover the gospel, and to turn to the Lord in faith. As I look at this passage, I see that they have five strong leaders. In just a matter of a little over a decade, a mighty church had grown up in Antioch. This church has been blessed by the Spirit of God with the resource of those who know the word deeply and are gifted in making it known to others. John Calvin says this, Even in our time, God enriches certain churches more than others so that they may be nurseries for propagating the gospel. That's Antioch. Antioch is a nursery for propagating the gospel. I love that language. God, if you would enrich us at Cross Point Coast, enrich us for that reason. May we never forget it. If we have leaders among us, it is that we might be nurseries for propagating the proclamation of the gospel to the nations. This is a church that was active in serving up the word of God the proclamation of the gospel of God. This church is also, secondly, a church that is seeking. They're seeking the Lord. And we see that in the passage where it says in verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Now there's some interesting things about the word worshiping. It actually is a word that refers to service, often used in reference to the service that the the priests and the Levites would make in the temple worship. They were serving like the people of God in the temple. So even here in worship, they are still serving. It's a service of worship, and they are engaged in fasting. Again, John Calvin says this, the question of building the kingdom of Christ among the Gentiles was such an important matter that the teachers of Antioch had good reason to ask God earnestly to make them equal to the task. They knew they had been commissioned and sent to the nations to make the gospel known. And so they're searching, God, we are five leaders and, and a small church here in Antioch. How in the world would you send us? They're humbled by that, and so they seek the Lord. God had already revealed his purpose to send the disciples. They already knew that they were to be sent. Specifically, Saul knew that he had been sent by Jesus himself to make the gospel known among the Gentiles. But the question remained, how, when, where? Here we find the leaders of the church being careful and deliberate as they go. But most importantly, we find them not only careful not only deliberate, we find them humble. They're humble before the Lord in their prayer and in their deliberation. They know that no strategy for mission is sufficient to accomplish the task. They need the Lord to go before them, and therefore they need the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And that is exactly what the Holy Spirit gives. Notice where the leaders were when the Holy Spirit spoke to them. 
They were worshiping. They were fasting. Worshiping and fasting here are clearly an aid to the central purpose of prayer. This was a church that sought the Lord in prayer together, and its leaders were found to be in prayer together. Now that leads me to this question. The passage says very simply, pay attention to it. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit said, Now, I ask the question, how did the Holy Spirit speak? You see, it doesn't say that. It just simply says the Holy Spirit said in in almost a sort of shorthand. That's all that Luke gives us. I mean, I'm wondering, did they they each or, or together hear an audible voice with the command set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul? Is that that how it worked? Or, Or did one of the prophets speak? while the others tested to discern if what he said was in accordance with the word and the purpose of God, the command of Jesus, was it in line with the authority of the word? They test the prophets among them. Did they find themselves as they prayed together, praying along the same lines with the same discernment, guided by the same way of thinking according to the word? And they said, this must be the Holy Spirit of God saying that we should set aside these two. Did they discuss together during a season of fasting, prayer, and worship, searching the word, and exercising discernment, hearing reports, exercising wisdom such that it became clear to them that this is surely the Holy Spirit's purpose? Now, there are certainly times in the scriptures that God has spoken an audible voice to his servants and given them a clear authoritative direction and a call. In fact, we saw that just 11 years before in our reading, just a few chapters before, when God called Saul, an audible voice, the voice of Jesus on the road to Damascus. And we're given a great deal of detail about what took place there. Here, Luke doesn't do that. He just gives us this sort of shorthand description. He says simply, the Holy Spirit said, Luke's simple statement here is intended to tell us that his mission, the mission of Barnabas and Saul, is God's mission. This is not the mission of Antioch Church. This is not the mission of Barnabas and Saul. This is not the mission of five leaders and a people who commission them. This is the mission of the Holy Spirit of God, and Luke wants to make sure we know that. It was begun by God. It was first commissioned by Jesus in the sending of the disciples to the nations and specifically of Saul on the road to Damascus. And here it is clear that the Holy Spirit would send out these two in this missionary journey. When Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit said, we ought to hear that the mission of the church is the mission of God himself. Do you get that? Do you think that God sent them, but he's no longer sending us? Do you think that God has given the mission to the church, and then step back to see how we do? Or do you think that the mission of the proclamation of the gospel is still God's mission? He still owns it, and he's still sending. The point for us is clear. The mission is the Lord's mission. Any of its leaders, merely servants of the Lord. Any who are sent are merely messengers of the Holy Spirit, and that has huge implications. That means that they don't get to invent the message. They're messengers. They don't get to make it up. They don't get to invent a prophecy 
or a teaching apart from what God has already spoken. Their job is to repeat the gospel and the Holy Spirit will work in hearts and the redeemed will be saved. These are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we must worship the Lord. We must seek him in prayer. We must seek wisdom and the very Holy Spirit of the living God will work among us to send us and prepare us and prepare the harvest field wherever we would go. This is a church that is serving. This is a church that is seeking the Lord. And finally, we see that this church is a church that is sending. The words in the passage, there's a number of them that call the mind the sending. And the first set that I see in verse 2 is that they set apart They set apart for the Spirit of God's work, Barnabas and Saul. It's a sending church. But you know that that those who are sent remain partners with the sending church. Yes, you have two who are sent, but that that doesn't mean that you just have two who are in ministry. As they go, they go to the peoples and the nations, it's true, but they go as the church together. We see how they return to Antioch at the end of chapter 14 with the completion of their missionary journey. In Acts chapter 14, it says this, they returned to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, you can see them. Are they gathering that church that they used to be a part of back before they were set aside for ministry? Are they gathering together their church? their people who had engaged them in this ministry to give the report that had been accomplished by their sending. When they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles and they remained no little time with the disciples. Why? Because these two who were sent are still the church. In the church, they're still them. These missionaries, Barnabas and Saul, were set apart for ministry, but they were not cut off from the church. So that means that as they go, they go with the church. They go as partners in the gospel. They go under the authority of the sending church. They go with prayer. And they go with encouragement. They go in expectation that they would return and share with joy the mission and fruitfulness of the gospel among the peoples. Barnabas and Saul don't go as rogue missionaries. They go as the church, commissioned to the task that God has given them as they are sent. You know, a phrase that John Menton and I repeated quite often, John and Naomi Menton sent to South Africa to establish an orphan care ministry there. We'll talk about them in just a moment. But one of the things that we said very often together is that Cross Point Coast is in South Africa. How do I know that? Because Cross Point Coast is nothing if it is not the partners in the gospel. That's us. That's you. That's me. We are the people of God. We are the church redeemed and sent in mission. And if John and Naomi were Cross Point Coast here, they, are they not still cross point coast there? Are they not still partners in the gospel there, even as they partner with yet another church plant in South Africa? We are the church 
as we stay and serve and seek and send. And we are the church as we are sent. The passage says that they were set apart, sent for the work. We should remember the work to which Saul was commissioned by Jesus. Back in chapter 9, verse 15, Jesus says that he, that is Saul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Now, this isn't just a special commission of Saul. Saul was the first to be explicitly commissioned to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. He is the tip of the spear, you might say. But Jesus is speaking also about a mission that he has already given to the whole of the disciples. Back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says this, But you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. God is commissioning his church to this. This isn't just Paul's special gig. More than that, the fact that the Jews would bear witness to the Lord among the nations has been God's purpose for Israel throughout the whole of the Scriptures. Go and read the Scriptures and read with an eye to asking that question. What is the role of Israel in history? It's to bear witness to the Lord God among the nations. And what is the gospel? What is the gospel that they go with? We would do well to pay attention to it, that when we go, that we would go with that same gospel message. We don't get to be creative when it comes to the content of the gospel message. Repeatedly, we see a pattern emerge. Saul will arrive in a town and he'll declare that Jesus was sent by God to bring salvation. The broad statement, sent by God to bring salvation. That Jesus is the Messiah of the Old Testament. He says that more often than not when he meets with the Jews in the synagogue in the new town. But he also speaks of the God of the universe, the maker of all things. He says that more often than not when he is among the Gentiles. And then inevitably he speaks about Jesus who was rejected and killed. He says that Jesus' sacrificial death is a means by which the only means by which sins are forgiven. You see the pattern, right? That Jesus rose from the grave and is alive, that he's reigning over his church and he's prepared to judge the living and the dead. Friends, that's a warning to heed the gospel message. And he ends with this call very often that the only way to receive salvation is to repent of sin and believe in this gospel and none other. In Acts chapter 47, he says this, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. To hear the essence of the gospel message. If you have not spoken about the reality of our rebellion, the bad news that we are all lost and under the judgment of God, but at the same time, the good news that there is forgiveness of sin in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. Friends, you have not preached the gospel. You have gotten creative and you have been sent with your message, not the message of the Holy Spirit. There is a gospel that we have to proclaim. And it's a gospel message that we have been sent by the Spirit of God to make known among the nations. And that's what they do here. They set them apart. They set them apart for a specific work. 
And then they sent him off. In Antioch, the church had an amazing ministry, right? This is a church that was established in the midst of persecution. And now the persecutors are their leaders in their midst, having their own hearts transformed. What a glorious explanation of the power of God. The word of God is increasing in their midst. God has gathered quite a diversity of peoples. It's starting to look like heaven in Antioch. And when Barnabas and Saul leave, their number is diminished. They will be far less diverse with only two Cyrenians and a Menaean remaining. They're about to lose their two most competent and encouraging leaders in Barnabas and Saul. Looking at that, and I'm thinking, that's a loss. Antioch is about to take a big hit in this one. One of the first things that I was told about Pastor Chan Kilgore, he's the founding pastor at Cross Point Lake Nona, planted Cross Point Lake Nona over 15 years ago. Cross Point Lake Nona is Cross Point Coast sending church out here. One of the first things that I was told about him is that his church would be bigger if he didn't keep sending their best leaders into ministry. It was spoken a bit derogatorily, like his strategy isn't really working. And so maybe I should be more wary when, when we would plant a church that we could be bigger and faster and more flourishing if we would be more careful about sending our best. But I heard that and I thought, I think I want to run with this guy. I thought, that's a good thing. It would, as I got to know the ministry of Cross Point Church, it would be nearly impossible to count the number of lives that have been touched for the gospel through the sending of missionaries and church planters and directors of a variety of ministries that have been sent out from that one church over these last 15 years. And then I compare that to what they would have if they would have just stockpiled Christian consumers in one building. I'll tell you right now, I would take a sending church any day. And we would keep on sending just as they are to this day. Not because that's Pastor Chan Kilgore's commission, even as he has moved on to another church planting ministry in Boca Raton, at Spanish River Church, another of our faithful senders. Now that's, that's not Chan's idea, that's the Spirit's idea of sending. And then I consider the history that God has graciously given to us at Cross Point Coast. I consider Bill and Tracy Dumphy in Williamsburg. And I would just, just spend a few moments recounting, remembering, and celebrating how they were sent out just nine months after our first community group began meeting. We weren't even gathering for celebration service yet at that point. We were just six households, and we were about to lose one of them to go to Williamsburg to begin in church planting ministry, and they labored there. And then I was invited to go and speak at their launch service of Grace Point Church just six months ago after they labored for these seven years to establish a core team. We rejoice that they've experienced tremendous growth and fruitfulness. And I am not ashamed to say that, frankly, numerically, they are unlike anything that we saw in the first few years of our church plant. We rejoice. That's game. And then I consider John and Naomi Menton. We mentioned them earlier. Went to South Africa to establish orphan care ministry and to participate in church planting. And they were sent out from among us just two years into our gathering. 
precious to many here. John served us in much the same way as an elder would before we ever ordained our first elder. Just this week, John sent me a message thanking me for the investment that Crosspoint made in him to shape and encourage him to be grounded in the truth alongside of his great zeal for the Lord and his mission. John, when his time here led us in worship, he started a community group, and his mark is still very much present in the humility and gospel-centered conviction that David Bohannon and the others of our worship leaders continue to nurture for us week after week. And then I think of Cross Point downtown, Cross Point Peachtree City, and Espanol, and Jupiter, each of which we have had the opportunity to invest in them and to financially support their congregations. More recently, we sent out Matt and Kelly Helmenthaler to begin a work in Palm Bay, to begin establishing Bayfront Village Church. And again, they are experiencing growth that we just didn't see in the first few years of Cross Point Coast. And we rejoice. We sent a number of our gospel partners with them, as well as others who have connected with Cross Point Coast over the years from that part of the county. And I've had the opportunity to meet with Matt regularly and text with him and communicate with him and rejoice with the church in Palm Bay. We've partnered with Tim Gagner and his ministry among college students with InterVarsity. And unique and special in that is that we long to go to the nations, but the nations are showing up on our university campuses. And Tim Gagner and the others who are at work with InterVarsity are bringing the gospel there, and those students are going home with that, that gospel. We can't count that. We don't know what God is doing, but we know what he does is great. We partnered with WeGo Ministries and Mission to Mongolia, Nicaragua. And I look at these sendings and the fruitfulness of the gospel through these sending means, and I realize there are far more lives impacted through these sendings than there are people in this room this morning. And I think, is that loss? Let me put it simply. The Holy Spirit, in sending Barnabas and in sending Saul The Holy Spirit knows the math. He knows there are five leaders, and now there are three leaders in Antioch. Any child in this elementary school can tell you that's called subtraction, right? Easy math. But the Holy Spirit knew that if you give subtraction a little time, and a lot of gospel-centered faithfulness and sacrifice, he will work a miracle of turning subtraction into multiplication. It's what he does. It isn't a new idea to think of the church like a family, right? Think of it this way. A husband and a wife. They are together. They build a home. They build a life together. They're faithful together and flourishing. And if God wills and his purpose gives them fruitfulness, they have a child. That growth is additive growth, is it not? They have one, two, three, maybe more children. They're a growing family, and they can go on like this for a while. But each new child is a child that is added growth. Now, what if I told you that that mom and decided, mom and dad decided to, to keep the children at home forever because they don't want to lose the beautiful, faithful fruitfulness of their family? They don't want to experience loss. I mean, you're immediately thinking, that's deformed, right? 
That's not healthy. That's not a good design. It's not the way that a family is supposed to work. No. No, it's God's design that a mom and a dad would send out children. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And if the Lord wills it, the family will grow. And mom and dad will become grandpa and grandma. And the family tree will branch out and a family will begin to multiply. It sure looks like subtraction back home with grandma and grandpa, but why are they so happy? Why can they so rejoice in that multiplication? Friends, we are that family. We nurture, we love one another We enjoy fellowship, and if God so wills, we will grow right here. But even as we grow, if we're growing the way that God has designed us to grow, we will also send. As a church, we're part of what is called the Acts 29 Church Planting Network. Their description of themselves is that Acts 29 is a diverse global family of church planting churches. We right here in this county, are a part of that diversity. We play our part on our part of the globe. We seek to be faithful as a church, and we seek to be fruitful as we plant churches together. I want to call to our minds just a few things. Uh, Items of future sending. Remember Joel and Randy, right? They joined Cross Point Coast not only because we are a faithful expression of the church in Brevard County, but also because they have always hoped that we, in partners in the gospel, would be able to help them establish a faithful church plant in their town in Cape Canaveral. And they've served well here. They've served faithfully among us, but most importantly, they've truly become us. We are together a family and partners in the gospel. Now, They've been added to our number, and yet if our desire for ministry of the gospel to grow, we will honor the desire of Joel and Randy and what the Holy Spirit seems to be preparing by sending them. Not today, soon, probably even by the end of the year. Even this morning, we've sent Joel to serve in ministry over and preaching in Cross Point downtown. Next week, he won't be with us again, and we'll probably have technical difficulties because we miss him. It feels like subtraction sometimes, but he'll be at Cross Point Jupiter, serving there and preaching again. Is that loss? Is it subtraction? That means that Matt Hardy had to run set up, and he did faithfully And this morning. It means that many of us were scrambling, looking around for things that we know that Joel knows where they are. But the word is preached. We think that's gain. And if the Lord wills, his spirit will work the miracle of multiplication. And that means, as we look to the future, we want to continue to send. That means that even now, as we seek wisdom for how best to send Joel and Randy, we need to ask the question that we would discover the next church planter, that God would raise up or bring to us, that they might serve among us, that they might be added to our number, that they might be sent out and we might together multiply the mission again, that we would grow and we would send, we would celebrate. 
I think there are a few implications I want to bring to us very quickly for it. In this passage, the first implication is prayer. Now, we would pray for those we have sent. I want to call them to mind again for us. That we would pray for the Dumfies. That we would pray for the Mentons. That we would pray for the Ganyers, the Cross Point churches, and many more. That we would pray for Joel and Randy and the Fair family, even this morning as, they, as Joel travels and the family tries to maintain the home front. That we would pray for the elders. Pray for the elders as we make decisions for staff and possible church plant apprentices in the future and direction for the ministry here in Brevard County. And so I would call you very functionally, very practically, would you pray? Be a church that believes that only the Holy Spirit can truly send. And secondly, that we would fast. There's a level of, of dedication that's implied by the word fasting. The most obvious implication is that we would, you know, fast. That we would not partake, that we would go without food and we would worship the Lord and we would pray for seasons and times and the purpose of the Lord to be revealed to his church. But also, I think we can broaden that application in this way, that we would see in this word fasting a whole other level of dedication, a whole-hearted resourcing of the mission. Basically, I mean this, that we as a church would leverage even more of our time and resources, our desires and dedication to making disciples and sending out laborers. As a church, I've become increasingly aware of opportunities for gospel ministry. I believe that as is, it's only going to grow in opportunities as we grow here in Vieira. But I've also become increasingly aware of how much sacrifice is going to be required of this small group of people who meet once a week in an elementary school classroom and gather to households and are engaged in ministry in our homes and neighborhoods and workplaces. There's a tremendous amount of sacrifice that is going to be involved in our sending. So I would ask you to seek the Lord. I would ask you to fast, to lay at the feet of the Lord your wholehearted devotion to the mission. Insofar as the elders are faithful to the call of the gospel, we as a church can leverage everything that we have as partners in the gospel here. To that end, as families, and it won't be loss. There'll be multiplication. We have a great example of that in this passage, you know. Barnabas, he sold a field and brought the money before the apostles. And now he himself is being sent out and resourced by the church. Finally, work. The work of gospel sending is not something that we send and wait for those who are sent to return and tell us about the great things that they did in the work on the mission field. The mission field is here. The missionaries are those who are sent and those who remain. Do you think that the three just said, phew, we get to be done praying in the ministry of the gospel now? No, the work remains of gospel proclamation. That when 
the Dumphys return and the Mentons return and others return that they would see a church that is busy at work here in Brevard County with them in our shared global mission. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're nothing. It's not too hard to calculate just how very little we are. But Lord, you took five leaders in a room with a small local church in Antioch. You gave them a mission. You sent them by your spirit. You prepared hearts. The gospel was proclaimed. And today we exist because that church went. We are today in Vieira and Brevard County, the fruit of that missionary journey. So, Lord, we thank you. And that that means something to us. That means that we can give everything that we have. There, There would be no loss. But, Lord, that in your hands, just like the parable, you would multiply it. May we not bury the little that you have given. Lord, show us what that means. Give discernment to the whole of your people as each one of us have this Spirit of God that spoke so powerfully on that day at work in our hearts that we could participate together in discernment and wisdom to discover how you would lead us into the future. Lord, we trust you for this. And we hope our prayer, our desire is that you would be glorified in our midst and in our sending. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen.